Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of All My Movies. We are continuing our look in the month of May at notable May releases of the past and today we are going back 25 years. As a matter of fact, it was 25 years ago just this week that the film Twister was released in theaters nationwide. It was eclipsed the summer of 1996 only by Independence Day, a big effects-driven weather blockbuster starring Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. Certainly unconventional stars, a lot of risk involved with the movies, a very interesting tale about how everything came together. We're going to cover that, and I'm also going to talk to a special guest. He is a fearsome Schmodown competitor. You have now seen us play each other in two singles title matches Adam Collins, the coyote himself, will be joining me to talk about his connection with the movie. It's a great discussion about great memories, great actors, everything great about this movie. But before we do that, I want to thank you, first of all, for watching the show here on my channel. I also would encourage you to check out my partners, Skybound and the Schmodown Entertainment Network. Over on SCN, you can find all of the Schmodown matches that I'm a part of. There's some great matches that I'm not a part of as well. We are in the middle of the season. You can also see shows like the Inner Geekdom Show and SCN Live. So be sure to go over to the Schmodown Entertainment Network to check out even more of your favorite movie stuff. And as always, thank you for watching right here. Even though we've been doing the show for a while, a big help for us to help the show grow would be for you to become a subscriber to the audio version of the podcast as well. You can find those links down in the description below. But thank you for listening to this episode or watching this episode, however you're choosing to join me on the show today. And let's dive right into Twister, one of my favorite big dumb summer movies of all time. The idea for Twister began kicking around Steven Spielberg's company, Amblin Entertainment, sometime in the early 90s, and playing the hot hand off of Jurassic Park, author Michael Crichton and his wife, Anne-Marie Martin, were hired to write the script for the movie for over $2 million, which was an astronomical sum for any screenwriters, especially a movie that hadn't yet been greenlit at that point. Though Crichton and Martin retained sole screenwriting credit, writers like Joss Whedon, Steven Zalian, and Jeff Nathanson also did substantial work on the script, which was being rewritten oftentimes as the movie was shooting on set. Right around this time, Jan DeBont made the jump from cinematographer of movies like Cujo, Basic Instinct, Die Hard, and The Hunt for Red October to director, and his first movie was the surprise action smash Speed, which simultaneously reinvented Keanu Reeves' career and launched Sandra Bullock's. Following Speed, Jan de Bont was attached to the movie that would become Roland Emmerich's disastrous 1998 American version of Godzilla. But after a budget dispute with the studio, de Bont left the project, which eventually freed him up to get hired as the director for Twister. To star in the film, DeBont cast two unconventional leads. The first was an actress who, though she had appeared in several films, was most known at the time for her role in the NBC sitcom Mad About You, Helen Hunt. DeBont loved Helen Hunt's vivacious energy and independent spirit, two qualities that would also help her land her next role, As Good As It Gets, which would end up winning her the Academy Award for Best Actress. Hunt was hired to play Joe, a weather chaser who's struggling to get over an impending divorce from her husband Bill after they tried to invent an experimental tornado tracking system. As the character Bill, a real-life Bill was cast, actor Bill Paxton, who'd made a career with memorable supporting roles in blockbusters like Weird Science, Predator 2, Apollo 13, and Aliens, and lead roles in smaller films, but had yet to play a lead role in a huge blockbuster like Twister. 
Paxton, who seems to have been loved just about universally by everybody that he worked with, jumped into his lead role in Twister with the same kind of energy you hear people talk about when they remember him. And he actually made some suggestions for different scenes in the movie. As I mentioned, the script was being rewritten a lot of times on set. He did have one suggestion for a very memorable scene, the flying cow scene, that I think would have made that even more memorable, but maybe for the wrong reasons. The cow would fly by once, and then you wouldn't see the cow again. Then about 15 seconds, it would just rain hamburger meat down on the car as the barometric pressure just exploded the cow. The rest of Twister is stacked with great supporting actors, including Lois Smith as Joe's Aunt Meg, who serves up some mean steak and eggs, Jamie Gertz as Bill's new fiance, Melissa, Carrie Elwes as rival storm chaser Jonas Miller, and Joe's ragtag group of storm chasers that includes Alan Ruck, Jeremy Davies, Sean Whalen, Todd Field, and in the film that preceded his breakout role in Boogie Nights, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Dusty. The suck zone is the point, basically, at which the twister sucks you up. This is not a role that a lot of people would have pegged Philip Seymour Hoffman for, especially when you see what he would go on to do later in his career. But the guy had some serious comedic chops that I don't think he gets a lot of credit for, including one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Pratt Falls of all time in 2004's Ben Stiller comedy, Along Came Polly. This man is in the house. Oh, oh, oh my God. Sandy. Twister was shot in 1995 on location largely in Oklahoma, and it was a production that was beset with problems. First of all, they filmed during actual storm season, which means that the weather could change at the drop of a dime. That caused continuity problems as well as delays when they just couldn't shoot due to strong storms moving through the area. But even those problems weren't that bad when you think about some of the other things that the cast and crew of Twister encountered. Here's just a few of them. In order to get a dark sky outside of the truck windows, they had to blast light right into Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt's eyes during the driving scene. That resulted in them having burnt retinas that required medical treatment. An unsecured door slammed Helen Hunt in the head during the scene where the truck is driving through the cornfield near the end of the movie. Some people claim that she had a concussion, but that was definitely the end of filming for that day until the door could be reinforced. Both Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton required hepatitis shots after shooting in the ditch where they encounter the first tornado that you see in the movie. And the film's original director of photography, Don Burgess, and his crew walked off the movie after a few weeks, dissatisfied with Jan DeBont's aggressive working style. His replacement, Jack Green, was then injured with two days left in the shooting schedule by one of the sets in the movie and had to be replaced by Jan DeBont himself to shoot the rest of the film. All of these mishaps are chronicled, by the way, in a cover story for Entertainment Weekly that was nominally there to promote the movie Twister. Entertainment journalism was a lot different 25 years ago because while it does hype up the release and talk about the visual effects, it also quotes an anonymous crew member who basically says, yeah, Yandabon endangered people's lives, but you know what? If the movie makes a bunch of money, then the studios aren't really going to care and they'll just give them another movie. Uh, by the way, that person, pretty much right. Following a tumultuous shoot, Twister went into post-production with visual effects from Industrial Light and Magic. But visual effects work had actually started before principal photography even began with a series of tests, basically a proof of concept that they could bring these tornadoes to life. And these tests gave birth to perhaps one of the most memorable shots in the movie Twister, 
that actually isn't in the movie Twister. Both theatrical trailers for Twister were tagged with a shot of a tire flying into the window of a truck, basically a gotcha shot for the audience. I remember when this movie was coming out, that was the shot that got people excited about this movie. It made people go like, whoa, this movie is gonna be crazy. Not in the actual movie, much to some people's chagrin, but it really is a testament to the work done by Industrial Light and Magic that a test shot, basically, a shot that was never meant to go in the movie, was good enough to put at the end of the trailer, and it definitely got some butts in seats. Reshoots were also done to enhance the opening scene of the film, which reportedly was not originally the opening of the movie. And according to VFX supervisor John Frazier, these reshoots, which constituted the entire scene of Joe's house getting sucked up by a twister when she was a kid and her father also being sucked into the tornado, were suggested by none other than executive producer Steven Spielberg. When we did the original version of the movie, her father did not die. And Steven Spielberg, when he viewed the film, said, you know what, I think the best thing to do is her father has to die. When you look at summer 1996, the release schedule was insanely packed. You had Twister, you had Independence Day, you had Eraser, The Nutty Professor, The Rock, Mission Impossible, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Cable Guy. It just went on and on. And yet, out of all of those movies, for a lot of people, Twister still remains one of the most memorable of that summer. Outlasting a lot of movies that got more prestige, only one got more box office, but still... Why is it that this movie in particular has stuck with people so long? In order to get to the bottom of that question, I talked to a new friend of mine, although he is a foe when we appear against each other in the movie trivia showdown, Adam Collins. He and I are around the same age. We had similar experiences, and we really decided to compare notes about the movie Twister, what we remember about it, and why it's so special to both of us. So let's throw it to my interview with Adam Collins. I am very happy to be joined by my guest. He is a new friend, a new acquaintance, but somebody who came into the world of the movie trivia showdown and made a massive impact right away. He is the former, and dare I say probably, future showdown singles champion of the world, a formidable opponent, and a cinephile of the highest order, Adam Collins. Thank you so much for joining today to talk about this fun, crazy, silly movie. Oh, it, it is all of those things, Dan. And uh, tempted as I was, I did not bring my wife. <laughs> I know, right? It's, I, I feel like it's, uh, it's like that scene in Batman Returns where they're like, do we have to start fighting each other now? Yeah. Uh, no, it's fun. We just get to co- hang out and talk movies. Off the clock. Off the clock, exactly. So, Adam, we've been talking about, leading up to this, the, the setup and the fact that this was one of those movies that, you know, it was made in the mid-90s where you could throw $2 million and just get a screenplay from the hot writer at the time. Mm-hmm. The, kind of the early days of visual effects. Uh, a lot of movies similar to this one. Volcano is one of them. Even a movie like, I, I would say, Deep Impact. Similar genre. Summer movies came out around the same time and yet for some reason twister this one seems to have have stayed in in a different way it seems to have a different place in people's hearts than a lot of similar movies that came out around the same time what is it for you because when i asked you you know we were talking and i said hey i want you to come on the show sometime what are some movies you love and this was one of the movies you mentioned what is it about this movie for you when you look back at the mid 90s you say like twister that's the one i remember it very much captures a moment, um, uh, you know, in the mid 90s, uh, blockbusters uh, were such a, a special experience. 
um, for people of all ages, but for anyone who was around, they remember. And, uh, you know, Independence Day was one of those big ones. Jurassic Park obviously kicked it off. But um, the thing with Twister is uh, that was an unexpected hit. And it sort of kicked off this this uh, um, additionally unexpected wave of natural disaster uh, movies. Um, but I think what Twister did right was uh, casting, for one, which I'm sure we'll get into. And second, you know, it didn't lose sight of making it a thrill ride. Um, even though I have a soft spot for things like Volcano and Deep Impact and Dante's Peak and less so Armageddon, honestly. That, that movie... Uh, I don't think it's aged as well. I actually think Deep Impact is better. Those disaster movies are fun, but I, it just didn't capture the camaraderie of these characters um, and the goofiness of it and, and the, the presumption that the audience would dial into this weird lingo that Storm Chasers apparently have. Going green. Greenage. Saddle You got a boss. When you talk about, I, I referenced this in Titanic a little bit, the special effects of the time. This is a very big CG industrial yeah. light magic. You know, the real renaissance of computer graphics was starting. Titanic would come out the next year, I think, or two years later. And there's something about computer effects. We'd seen, we, we had Star Wars. So when Independence came mm-hmm. out, and Day uh, came out, and I love Independence Day. But we'd yeah. also seen spaceships believable spaceships before these were more advanced believable spaceships but they were still spaceships what this movie and what titanic i think have in common is that they were able to use state-of-the-art visual effects to bring action something real to life you know the titanic Mm -hmm. existed it sank and they were able to use technology to show you that in a way that no movie had ever been able to do that before this movie tornadoes I grew up in and I'm currently sitting in Arkansas. Very real. Um, yes. And this movie, maybe for one of the first times, was able to so viscerally show you this. It's, it's kind of like being in awe of nature. Very much so. Um, I, I, I shared a similar experience growing up in rural Ohio. Um, you know, it's not quite Tornado Alley, but it's Tornado Alley adjacent, especially in the springtime. Um, there are some pretty devastating storms. And uh, in the mid 90s, you know, I was a young boy, um, uh, uh, 10 years old or so around the time this movie came out. And um, I I had at the time um, a deep rooted fear of thunderstorms and specifically uh, the anticipation of a tornado watcher warning appearing on screen. I lived in fear of that. Um, uh, I heard the sirens a few times, ran the basement a few times, never, never dealt with any direct devastation. Um, but saw the start of a funnel from a distance once, and that really stuck with me. So when this movie came out, um, I was scared to see it, but compelled to see it at the same time because I grew up watching horror films. Surprised. And uh, I ended up seeing this in theaters, and it was very much facing my fears. But after that initial, frankly, scary opening scene, especially for a child, the movie takes shape and becomes so much fun that by the end of it, I had effectively overcome my fear. And I also dug into tornado books at my library after that to learn more about the science, which I had no idea what these characters were talking about uh, when I saw this movie as a kid, but I found it interesting and it made me want to learn more. Joe, we got major action. The NSSL says the cap is breaking. Tower's going up 30 miles off the dry line. I actually was in a very similar position and I'm just a, a few years older. 
Uh, but it's kind of crucial at that time, like the, the difference between like 10 and 12 or 13, which is that I was scared of thunderstorms when I was a kid, definitely mm-hmm. afraid of tornadoes. Uh, same thing that, you know, they would come through here quite a bit in the spring and we get tornado warnings and we've had insulation dropped in our yard before because a cloud passed over us, but that didn't drop down. So it was a very wow. real thing. By the time Twister came around, it was kind of like in Jaws when Richard Dreyfus is talking about like, oh, I get into sharks because I was fishing and I caught one and it tore my boat apart and scared me to death. But ever since mm-hmm. then, I've been fascinated. By the time Twister started, I was fascinated by yeah. weather and the Doppler and the hook echoes. And they were just starting to develop that technology where they could show you where it was going. And at 5.14 PM, it's going to be, I was actually interested in being a meteorologist until I got to college and realized that it involves a lot of math and and like, and like knowing how to orient your space, like do like wind maps and stuff. I was like, never going to happen. But it's the same thing. I think for a lot of people, it's because if you grow up in a certain part of this country, all of these things that are like fantastical to people that maybe are in California or New York uh, or Montana. Um, it's a very seasonal real life thing, but it mm-hmm. also is kind of fascinating as well. It is. And, and I think what helped me really engage with it too, was to your point, the effects actually are one of my favorite aspects of the movie. Um, and I think one of the things that have aged uh, the best about it, there are a couple uh, close-up CG shots that are definitely of their time, but I think uh, the tornado work, especially where they play to the strengths of, or frankly, play to the limitations of the CG at the time, uh, I think those are the most effective. Um, and I like how the tornadoes go in sequence by all the different stages of the uh, Fujita scale. So you have the F1, the F2, the F3, the F4 at the drive-in and then the F5 at the end. And the F5 is such a great grand finale and that tornado looks the best to this day, in my opinion. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there has been uh, a 3D re-release of this film, which I would pay good money to see. I don't think there has been either. It sucks because I could say correction if there was, but I think you're right. (laughs) I I don't think that there has been. And I I agree, like that F5, which is all the things that computer graphics aren't good at, like dust, smoke like all those elements that are so terrible in other movies look really good in this that that f5 looks so amazing but then there's that goofy shot of that that tree flying at the camera and and the thing that's funny is it immediately cuts to a real tree lodging under the truck that looks it's a great shot it's a very similar shot where and again i think it's 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 a break in reality but it's immediately followed by re- an actual thing so you almost forgive it it's the 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 18 wheeler that big fuel tanker there's oh, a yeah. cg shot where it's kind of flying through the air and it's like it looks good enough but it's mm-hmm. immediately followed by a real one just dropping from the sky and, and you, you right. buy it because they mix they combine the, the cg and the and the practical the practical is incredible like when they throw the house across the road the comedy in this film i think is very very under uh rated um, I think people who love this film appreciate the comedy, but I think uh, the, the situational and physical comedy of the film is something that sneaks up on you. I think we're going in! I'm not ashamed to say this is definitively my favorite Bill Paxton film. Honey, this is a tissue of lies. See, there was another Bill, a, an evil Bill, and I killed him. I mean, his character is named Bill. And he beat, well, I mean, I guess he didn't beat Tom Hanks out for the role. Tom Hanks may have just said no thanks. But 
he technically competed with Tom Hanks for the role. So I'm going to give it to Bill. Um, and uh, I think Laura Dern was in consideration for Helen Hunt's role. Um, I, I would love to see that alternate cut of the film at some point. But um, I just think Bill and Helen have actually pretty incredible chemistry in this movie. What? Don't say it. I said weatherman. I think it's great. Oh, you had that tone. There was no tone. If you have a problem being a weatherman. I don't have a problem being a weatherman. Even though it's played up for comedy, especially in the beginning, I believe in their past. Sometimes it's these weird things. We talked about it with Iron Man last week, where it's a movie that shouldn't work, but does. But it only works because of the insane circumstances in which it was made where that script was if you've i've read the original script for twister it bears uh, michael Crichton and, and Henry martin got paid a lot of money for it good for them it bears very little resemblance to the movie itself and the fact that it was written and then rewritten rewritten on set i mm -hmm. think one of the reasons why helen hunt and bill paxton seem so right for this role is that they had to rely on their natural chemistry because the movie was being built around them. I mean, they didn't have they didn't have the script to fall back on. You're doing the analysis. I'm running the lab. You're running the, lab? running the lab? I don't think so. God. Do you always have to do things the hard way? And if you look at it as objectively as you can, it's kind of bare bones in terms of plot. But I think uh, what I love about it, which I alluded to earlier, is the ensemble uh, appeal of the film on both sides. I love our heroes, the ragtag group of storm chasers, which, you know, uh, have all their cool nicknames and, and their funky vehicles and their rock music and Academy Award winning actors, uh, uh, both Philip Seymour Hoffman and Helen Hunt, but also very talented actors who were kind of in background roles, like Jeremy Davies and stuff. And then I got to say, the reason this movie's a home run for me is the, the decision to create villainous storm chasers, I think, is the one of the most amazing things I've, I've seen in a natural disaster movie. I don't think it's ever been replicated. And the fact that they all have matching sinister black uh, SUVs um, and their own theme music. I still have, there's some lines that kind of repeat in my head. And every once in a while, if I see somebody like just anybody, or even if I see somebody named like Jonah or whatever, I always think Jonas, Son of a bitch. It's one of those things like I have the inflection trapped in my head. Jonas, son of a bitch. Or, oh, I, I, you know, it's hard not to call every Jonas I've met. And there have been a few over the years. Uh, I called him a nightcrawler. Jonas Miller, he's a nightcrawler. We all start out in the same lab that Jonas went out and got himself some corporate sponsors. It's it's one of the great exposition dumps in history because it's literally just, again, you're going to go with it or you're not. You just have to accept. This is a ragtag group of university-funded researchers. This one went out and got corporate sponsors. I guess somebody, I guess Nike is sponsoring them. Right. Um, and he's in it for the money, not the science, which again, I don't mm -hmm. know how that works. He's in it for the money, not the science. But, but again, just Carrie Elwes is, that, when they talk about a thankless role, that's a thankless role because his job is really just to be bad guy. And yet he's he's just the 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 southern accent, the, everything about it is just he makes the most of that part. Today, we're going to make history. So stick around. Because the days of sniffing the dirt are over. He really does. I'm a big Carrie Ellis fan. I think he deserves his own Schmodown slice, honestly. Uh, I would have a blast with that. But yeah, that accent, um, the fact that he's. 
he just beats up on his driver, Eddie, throughout the whole film. Maybe we should do what he says. He'd never put us in harm's way. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Your mouth shut, put your foot on the gas, and stay on this heading. Which leads to poor Eddie's completely disproportionate demise, where he is, like, decapitated by, like, debris. I feel so bad for Eddie in this film. He goes up there with uh, with Bryce Dallas Howard's assistant from Jurassic World for like most undeserved brutal death in movie history. So we have, you know, we mentioned Philip Seymour Hoff. Well, I mean, his whole thing is to uh, make Jamie Gertz uncomfortable throughout the entire film. And then obviously she is obviously the audience for like the first like two acts of the movie. Aren't there already tornado warnings? Well, the civil They're not good enough. They're nowhere near good enough. And Melissa, by the way, I don't think she deserved any of this either. Uh, I'm just putting that out there. Um, she really didn't. Um, and they got engaged way too fast. What's the urgent urgency? Act like you're getting married. Ma'am. Wow. My mom, when I was growing up, she did not like her character. I think because she kind of, <laughs> again, she was, she had to be, the person was like, we got cows. I gotta go, Julia, we got cows. You do feel so bad for her when they're at mm-hmm. the motel and she's just like, I'm leaving. And he's like, yeah, you should go back. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm leaving. And you feel bad for her because she seems like a very nice woman and she loses her fiance to, you know, his ex, who all he's ever talked about is how much of a pain in the ass she is. And then the second they're back together, he, he instantly goes back to her and you feel bad for her. Yeah. She gets a front row seat to it. It's just kind of cruel. This poor woman just gets dragged along for this ride. Her life is put in jeopardy multiple times. I, I think J.B. Gertz uh, deserves a pat on the back for this movie. She's a real sport. And so is her character. What about you? Oh, don't worry about me. I know my way home. So we've got the evil scientist. Mm-hmm. We have the, the 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 good guys. It's a, it's a clash of good versus evil. It's a clash of man versus nature. A lot of primal things going on in this movie. Is there is there one moment? Is there one sequence that you every time you watch, you're looking forward to it, or you're like, this is it. This is my favorite moment. Or is it more just a series of different things? My favorite scene uh, to this day is the drive-in sequence. Not just the Shining playing in the background that's great i love that we are lulled into that sense of security that everything's okay we're getting a break and then the slight little hints that something's going to go wrong and the minimal uh effects in that and all the practical effects that really sell how dangerous everything is um i love that sequence it's coming it's headed right for us it's already here. You mentioned introducing you to The Shining. I had also not at that time seen The Shining. And I will have to say, Twister gave me a very distorted perspective of the chronology of that movie. Oh, he meets the little the little twin girls. And then he chops the, the door. And that's it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they all happen within five minutes. And it's like, no, those are like an hour and a half apart. It gives you all of like the Hot Topic bumper sticker scenes. Uh, and then, and then you know, when you watch the movie, you're like, okay, now I get it. But I'm still glad it introduced me to The Shining. I went out and found a VHS of that at the video store after seeing Twister. So that was like a gateway drug for you to Kubrick. Oh, yes. Yeah. One person uh, we have not mentioned, Lois Smith, Aunt Meg. Oh, just well. the heart of the movie. God, Meg, you got a lot of beef. Where'd you get all this beef? Did you see my cows out front? No. Oh. If it had just been about research, I don't know if that keeps you on board till through act three 
if it's just mm-hmm. this whole thing like we got to get Dorothy to fly. I didn't have any warning. The sirens went off a few seconds before it hit. I didn't even get downstairs. So you're like, you're now like the tornado's the bad guy now. Because look yes. what you did to Aunt Meg's house. I know, I know. It's like all the storm chasers are like, you know, you attacked our grandmother and now we're gonna break your legs, tornado. Uh like, but I, I feel for it. I feel for them in that moment. The the sequence at Aunt Meg's house is terrific. It's so efficient and fun. And it gives you so much information without being obvious. Is there an F5? What would that be like? The finger of God. So final question. You're trying to sell somebody on Twister. Someone who's never seen Twister. You're like, hey, mm-hmm. you got to see Twister. Like, I'm, it's a, it's, it's a, I know what that I've seen. I know what that movie is. It's a big, dumb summer movie. I'm not interested in that kind of thing. That kind of blockbuster movie. What do you tell me? What is it that you say to say like, no, like this is why it's different. This is why it stands out. Honestly, I, I, I would ask them, do you like Jurassic Park? Do you like speed? Um, imagine a natural disaster movie that takes elements of both of those that are really fun. It's not going for best picture, but it is undeniably energetic. And Bill Paxton, who's one of the best background actors of all time, finally comes center stage. And and gives us his just his magnum opus. Joe, things go wrong. You can't explain it. You can't predict it. Killing yourself won't bring your dad back. Also, I would point out that this has an amazing soundtrack. Uh, even though they force in the music in the background hilariously to just sell the soundtrack afterwards, it's great. And the score by Mark Mancina is excellent. <laughs> And the end credits with the Van Halen track. Also, I'm sure Ellis would appreciate uh, the end credit music for this. And the original song. She'd been nominated for Best Original Song. That's why you should see them. I agree. First, the, the score, one of the great overlooked scores of the 90s, I think works so well for this movie. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll have to hunt, hunt to hunt down a bootleg of the CD. I'm sure I think there was a CD soundtrack that was put out at some time of the score, but underrated score. I think by many an underrated movie by some people, I, I think within five years or so of us, one of those weird modern, I don't want to say classics, but to us, to right. us a classic. And that's what the show is about. Like, it's not just about looking at objectively, like, let's look objective, objectively and pl- place this movie in history. It's like, no. It, that almost no movies you can do that it's just fun to hear about this is a moment in time and this movie was part of my life yeah and it made me uh take a break from playing star wars and power rangers and ninja turtles with my friends and we played storm chasers for months after this movie came out and it was it was just a blast uh and we would listen to the cd of, of the soundtrack which you can get that it's the score that's hard to find and we would jam out and pretend we were a bill and Dusty and Joe and just have a blast. Yeah. See, un- unlike unlike Jonas, you were in it. You were in it for the science, not the money. Always. Always. Uh, well, Adam Collins, thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you. And uh, this will not be the last time we meet. I, I am very sure of that. I like meeting in this capacity. It's refreshing. This is a lot of fun. Stressful. We'll have to do it again. It's stressful. 
way way less stressful. My heart yeah. rate's about fifty beats per minute lower than it usually. <laughs> I, I'm I'm perfectly happy doing this too. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks. Keep up the good work. I'll tune in. Thanks again to Adam Collins. That was a great discussion. You can find him on social media and, of course, on the movie Trivia Schmodown, uh, facing off with me in the very near future, I'm sure. Twister was released on May 10th, 1996, and I definitely saw it in theaters at least three or four times. And two or three of those were at the Cinema 150. You've heard me talk about this movie theater on the air many times before. It was the only stadium seating large format, not quite IMAX size, but still pretty big screen in, I think, the state of Arkansas, definitely in Little Rock, and it was the only place to go to see a movie like Twister. It had kind of an open concept plan, so there was a huge auditorium, and then right outside was a lobby, but if you were standing in the lobby, you could hear the movie coming out, blasting out from the hallways, and I don't know why. Our brains are so weird. You remember these weird things. I remember going into the lobby of the Cinema 150 to buy tickets for a later show of Twister, because you had to go and buy them at the box office, kids. No online movie tickets at that time. And I just remember walking into that theater lobby and hearing the human barometer line drifting out of the theater and thinking like, oh, I remember that part of the movie. Well, we're going to see it in a few hours. Plant Mag used to call him a human barometer. I don't know why my brain imprinted that. I don't know why I remember that 25 years later. It's just part of the thing, the way that movies have a hold on us. And we remember these tiny, tiny little moments and bits and pieces as they interweave themselves with our lives. I know one of those showings, it may have been the one I was buying tickets to that day, was to go see the movie with my uncle, Uncle Charlie. Again, you've heard his name on this podcast before. You're going to hear his name on this podcast again. And he and I both love the movie. I'd seen it definitely before I don't even remember if he had but that was what we did we would just go see movies when he would come and visit and I remember he always thought it was very funny he was a high school band teacher Uh, he thought it was funny that the tornadoes all came with their own ominous theme music For years afterward, any time that there was a storm or we heard thunder, he would look at me and he would mock the music of Twister to kind of say like, "Uh uh-oh, here comes the tornado. Uh, It was just one of those inside jokes that we had. And, And a lot of our humor and a lot of our memories were based off of memories from movies that we'd seen together. It was always something that we laughed. It became kind of our cinematic shorthand. And it's something that even though he's gone, it still ties me to him. These me- these memories of our time together and our time seeing movies together. And one of those movies was Twister. Another memory I have of Twister is a friend of mine and I, we got into to a theater employees only early screening of Independence Day. And we got there late at night. The, you know, the last night shows of the night were showing and the manager basically said like, oh, you can go see the end of any movie that you want. Now, our teenage hormones uh, almost got us uh, to go into the Demi Moore movie, Striptease, but we did not. We went and we sat and we watched the last 25 minutes of Twister because it was so awesome. We had never seen anything quite like that. It's just one of those movies that if you're that age and and if you saw it and it just hits you the right way, you never ever forget it. And everybody has movies like that and they're different movies and a lot of times people will look at that movie and be like, really? that movie, but Twister's one of those movies for me, because it just hits you at the right time, and you become the world's biggest fan of that movie, even though, yes, it is stupid. One day, I'll give you one day, 
Whether she flies or not, I'm gone. Twister was a massive success with all audiences, though, earning nearly $250 million, and that's in 1996 money. It was second only to Independence Day, both in the summer of 1996 and in the year 1996. It was the second highest grossing film of the year, just above Mission Impossible, Ransom, and Jerry Maguire. Audiences loved the movie, but critics were pretty mixed. Siskel and Ebert, in particular, liked the special effects, but couldn't get past the more far-fetched plot machinations of the movie. Yeah, I admired the special effects in Twisters, but not enough to recommend the rest of the I film. had the same reaction, Roger. It is a ridiculous story. The bad guys have corporate sponsors. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ridiculous. You know, and, and Following its theatrical run, Twister also has a little footnote in history, which is that it's reported to have been the first movie to ever have been issued on DVD. And that's kind of true... Maybe. I was trying to do some of my research. There are some sites that say and some sources that say that, yes, Twister was issued on DVD in March 1997, a couple of days before several other titles, mostly from Warner Brothers, titles like Goodfellas and The Wizard of Oz were issued as well. Others say that Twister shipped out with those titles, which would have made it one of the first, but not the first movies to be issued on DVD. However, it definitely was one of the first studio movies to be released in, on DVD in the United States. But you also have to factor in that IMAX had already released several of their projects on DVD DVD prior to Twister and that the technology had been released in Japan before it hit the United States and several movies had already been issued there. So was Twister the first movie ever issued on DVD? Maybe in the United States, but I could not find the definitive answer. Regardless, I did own that first edition of Twister. It was in one of those cardboard snap top cases, the cheapest cases in the world. I convinced my mom to be an early adopter of DVD. I really, really gave her the hard sell on it. So we were one of the first people on the block to have a DVD player, but there are certain movies like Twister and the Fugitive that I know really well because it took a long time for studios to come around and start putting all their movies out on DVD. Plus they were expensive. I looked up how much they retailed for. They were 30 to 40 bucks a pop adjusted for inflation when they came out. So it was very prohibitively expensive for a 13, 14 year old kid like me to build a massive DVD collection at that time. That's kind of the irony of this show. Of course, I now have certainly not as large as some people, but I think for me, a pretty impressive collection of movies. That started way back when DVD started coming out because you could get movies on widescreen, you had things like commentary, special features, all the stuff we talk about on this show, I've been obsessed with since I was a kid. Not only did we have the DVD player, but we had a kind of weird mishmash of speakers that we bought one or two at a time to rig up a home surround sound system. And I would always put on Twister whenever people wanted to hear the surround sound because of course that was a sound extravaganza. So we'd turn up the subwoofer and turn up the volume uh, and impress my friends and family when they would come over. Twister was nominated for two Academy Awards. One of them was for Best Sound. The other one was for Best Visual Effects. It lost both to The English Patient and Independence Day, respectively. But it did pick up a BAFTA Award for Best Visual Effects and the much-vaunted MTV Movie Award for Best Action Sequence. 
But Twister didn't just have an impact on moviegoers. The movie's also credited with inspiring a whole generation of people to be interested in the weather and meteorology, and also inspired some future storm chasers. In 2017, John Wetter, the president of Spotter Network, which is a nonprofit organization of storm chasers and storm spotters who feed that information into a central database to help with the tracking of severe weather, told the Associated Press, quote, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of meteorologists today, myself included, who were impacted by the movie Twister. Twister was kind of the first time in a mass media place the meteorologists became cool, if only for a little while. Spider Network also had a tradition of aligning their members in such a way that if somebody fell in the line of duty, one of their colleagues, they would line up so that when you looked at their GPS signals, it would spell out their initials. Well, in 2017, after Bill Paxton's all too untimely death at the age of 61, he became the first non-Storm Chaser colleague that the Spider Network gave this honor to. His initials, BP, were spelled out by hundreds of members of the network across Tornado Alley in a gesture that stretched from Wichita, Kansas to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And at the heart of this demonstration of affection and respect for Bill Paxton was the town of Waquita, Oklahoma, an actual town that was featured in the movie and that has a Twister Museum that is open and under operation to this day. Last year, the inevitable reboot was announced to be in development with director Joseph Kosinski attached to direct, and there may well soon be a new twister for a new generation. But for me and my generation, this will always be our twister, a movie that we love despite its flaws, oftentimes because of its flaws. And I know for a fact that this movie, this dumb weather movie, will always hold a special place in this moviegoer's heart. As always, I like to break down the special features that are available on the Blu-ray that I'm featuring each week. Twister has uh, some special features. Unfortunately, most of them are kind of outdated. There may be updated versions of the film that are out today. It's the 25th anniversary. I would hope that they reissue something. There is a director's commentary with Jan DeBont and the head of the visual effects team that breaks down certain things. It's, it's okay. It's not one of the best commentaries that I've ever heard. There's also a special feature called Twister Revisited, which itself is almost 15 years old, that is about the making of the film some interesting tidbits in there you also get a concurrent feature the making of twister which was produced when the film was coming out it's a little more promotional not quite as insightful you also have a scattering of other special features there is something called anatomy of a twister which again just kind of goes into some of the things that came with making the movies there's one thing that i think would have been interesting except that it was made in 2003 called nature tech tornadoes which goes into the modern technology at that time of tracking the storms However, there's been 18 years of advancements in technology, so I think that special is pretty out of date. You also get the teaser and theatrical trailers for the movie and the music video for Van Halen's Humans Being, the original song that was referenced in the interview I did with Adam Collins. And that wraps up my thoughts on Twister. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about an all-time classic movie that was released in May. I'm excited to break that down. A little bit of a change of pace from our last two weeks, but I still think you're going to enjoy it. 
Thank you so much for watching the show. Again, if you want to be an audio subscriber, if you're watching us on YouTube, please check out that link below and please check out everything that Skybound has going on and everything over at the Schmodown Entertainment Network. I'll be back with one of the most iconic movies, and again, I'll use the I word, ever made. Certainly one of the most memorable and the most acclaimed, at least in the last few decades. We'll break that down next week, but until then, it's time to go back on the shelf. Thanks for watching.